Matthew chapter 6, we want to talk about uh, the, the concept of spirituality according to Christ. Um, and then we'll talk about how that spirituality grows and is nurtured. Um, so anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. The Bible says, Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men. Do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So just to, to break this down, because he's going to repeat this pattern again when he talks about prayer, when he talks about fasting. He says, you should take heed. The very first words of Jesus about the nature of spirituality and daily godliness is take heed, is to be careful. As soon as someone says take heed, that means be warned. There is a danger in seeking to be an individual who is spiritual. And the danger is the fact that he says that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. You see, spirituality is something that we can try to imitate rather than have the genuine article. When we want to be seen as spiritual people, we have methods, conduits, practices that we can do to make it seem as if we are spiritual. To make it seem as if we know God when we do not know God. And that's why the very first words of Jesus about spirituality are take heed. If you are a person who seriously wants to have a walk with God, then you must be forewarned. That you and I, in human nature, have a tendency towards hypocrisy. Phariseeism. Sadducees. She describes in a very simple statement something that I thought about for a long time when I was studying the Gospels. And then I found it in Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. I started laughing. She says, the spirit of Phariseeism is the spirit of human nature. So if the Pharisees and the hypocrites and the scribes and the Sadducees were these people constantly fighting against Jesus, right? But they were spiritual. But they did plenty of worship ceremonies. They tithed on mint and cumin. So in all these things, say this is the spirit of human nature. And the only problem in this room is we all have human nature. And the people who were listening to Jesus. He saw the warning in desiring to live a godly life. And that warning that Jesus sounded was, we can sometimes do things that are good things for the wrong reason. Notice Jesus does not say in the text, take heed that you do not do your do charitable deeds. That's not his issue. He says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. It's not about whether people see you or not. And that's a big thing, you know, in, in a lot of um, Asian cultures and African cultures, Eastern cultures, I would say, is that they have this big thing about, you know, not people not knowing that you're the one that helped them. People not knowing you're the one that did this thing for them. You know, if you're really humble, nobody should know that you did it. That's not true because Jesus lived his entire life before people. They saw everything that he did. 
He wasn't trying to hide God from other people. And it didn't bother him that people knew it came from Christ. But his issue was, he didn't do it before men so that they could see him. It was the reason why he was doing it. There's nothing wrong with me handing out food to a homeless man and someone's across the street watching what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with the fact that, oh, you know, I decided to help out this poor family and just so happened the news was right there. People are like filming, <laughs> giving this family, it's like, oh, no, I can't give you this, this food because the news is watching me. I can't do, no, that's absurd, Christ says. The issue is, do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, he says. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So now this, this begins to take us to verse 2 in dealing with the idea of a hypocrite. He says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed. So I want you to notice twice, right? Christ is encouraging us to do charitable deeds. Did you know that giving to people, serving people in charitable ways, that means for free, is a part of spirituality? You know, most people are non-spiritual because they don't give to anyone. Everything they do comes with a charge or a return. But when you do things for no return, but simply because, like we said yesterday for the sermon, I just wish to give to this person the same way I gave to this person. That's just my desire. Is your eye evil because I am good? I just want to bless the person. So to move in this, this line, that is the character of God. And so when Christ looks, He says, when you do your charitable deed, that means He's expecting you to do it at some point in time. So whenever you do your charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the who? What does the text say? Hypocrite. The hypocrites. The word hypocrite in Greek um, comes from a Greek word that means an actor, a pretender. People who did theater. So they get up and pretend, right? He's pretending to be, you know, the king of whatever. He's a hypocrite. But he's saying there's hypocrites inside of the religion of God. And he says, and guess what? Hypocrites do charitable deeds. Did you know that? Sometimes we think of people and say, when you and I define a hypocrite, we probably use this very uh, loose, repetitive definition that is non-biblical. We use the definition that a hypocrite is a person who says one thing and does another. Isn't that true? That's how we define a hypocrite. Oh, don't smoke, but I'm puffing. Man, you're a hypocrite. That's not a hypocrite in the Bible. That's not how Jesus defines a hypocrite. And notice, hypocrisy is very very dangerous in the context of spirituality. So he says, if you want to understand a hypocrite, you got to look at the areas of spirituality. And he says, therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from who? Men. So what is the goal of a hypocrite? To have glory from men. What makes them a hypocrite it's not that they say one thing and do another. They do exactly what they say. The issue is they do it for the glory of men. They do it because they want to be seen by men and they want to be seen as spiritual. And we may think, oh, I don't do that. Well, that's not true. Because there are certain movies we won't watch because we know certain people are around. 
because we want to be seen as spiritual. Then we're hypocrites. Oh, we know we're, we're not going to sing that song. We'll change our, our ringtone when we come to camp meeting and then change it back in the car ride home. Because I don't want people to think I got Jay-Z on my phone. Come on, man. You're at camp meeting. I thought you were spiritual. You're the pastor's son. You're the pastor's daughter. Oh, I can't wear this dress, but I would normally wear it if I wasn't around my Adventist community. Because I want to be seen as being spiritual, modest. I want to be seen as a person, yeah, you know, I don't have my tattoos, long sleeve shirts the whole time. Yo, man, you don't want to play basketball? No, no, no. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling it today. Of course he's not feeling it today. He doesn't want to expose the fact he's got tattoos of some crazy figures on his arm. Probably a serpent. Don't you know the serpent in Revelation 12? Why would you put that on your body? You belong to the devil. No, nope, I don't want to hear it. So long sleeves, whole day. Jacket, yeah, I'm, I'm cold. It's 84 <laughs> degrees out here. We come to church and it's like, oh yeah, go do outreach because why? Everyone else is knocking on doors. I better go knock. I don't want to be seen as not spiritual. I want to be seen by people knocking on doors. But the thing that frees us from hypocrisy is not, oh, I do what I say because they do what they say. That's not what frees me from hypocrisy. What frees you and I from hypocrisy is that I do it when no man is watching. I knock on doors when only God sees. I pray when God sees. That's what makes me spiritual. The measure of a man or woman's spirituality has nothing to do with what's happening right now, including the preacher. That's why so many pastors have no power in the pulpit. That's why churches have no power in the community. Did you know, Great Controversy, the book that literally changed my life, she says about the Reformation, Martin Luther, she says that the power that shook the world through the Reformation, it came from the secret place of prayer. People thought Martin Luther is this powerful guy. I mean, we read about his life. Wycliffe, Zwingli, Hus, all they were like, man, this is powerful and amazing stuff. When I first read that book in college, and I'm reading this stuff, I'm like, this is crazy. Luther would spend three hours a day in prayer, every morning. No wonder his life was so powerful. Jesus would get up a great while before day, after healing people all night. And guess where he went? Into a secret place. I'm not here to be seen by men. You know, it was so bad, people were looking for Jesus while he was praying, interrupting the man's prayer time. Christ is praying, pouring out his heart to God. Jesus, the people are looking for you. Where were you? He healed the entire town. There was no one sick. He literally put the local hospital out of business. Ambulance was just driving around. <laughs> There's no one sick in this place, in the entire city. And where was Christ? On the news? Christ, what is your secret? How did you heal all these people? Well, uh, Barbara, um, <laughs> no, this is not where he was. He was exactly in the same place that gave him the power to do it. He was in the secret place. And so watch how the text goes. He says, but when you do a charitable deed, a third time, emphasizing, you need to do a charitable deed. Spirituality is about action. 
It is about what you do. But what makes it authentically spiritual is why you do it. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Christ is saying you need to hide even from yourself. The case of spirituality is it should be so deep and secret that people don't even know. They'd have to stumble upon Christ's prayer. Have you noticed how many prayers of Jesus are recorded? No one was there. They stumbled upon his prayer in Luke 11. And his prayer was so powerful in Luke 11 verse 1 that they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they realized after walking with Christ all this time and hearing him pray, they don't know how to pray. That is something that she goes on to say. They associated with his power of his life, his prayer life. They began to make the connection. The reason why this man is so powerful is not because he's God in the flesh. But you see, we make that excuse all the time. Listen, I'm not Jesus. Oh, really? Jesus was a man. And Jesus is our example. And Jesus had access to nothing that we do not have access to. But we don't believe that. But we say it. And that's what makes us hypocrites. Because we make an excuse. And we agree with that because publicly, we all know it, and we don't want to appear as being heretical or believe in some crazy theology. So we affirm these things in public. Righteousness by faith. Oh, it's only through grace alone, faith alone. But in secret, that's not how we're functioning. He says, you should even hide it from yourself. Your left hand shouldn't even know what your right hand is doing. That's how secretive it is. And he adds... Verse 4, that your charitable deed may be seen where? Verse 4, what does it say? Yes, that your charitable deed may be where? In secret, and your father who sees where? In secret, will himself reward you how? Openly, do you see the contrast? The spirituality is in secret, but the reward is what? open so you see this constant word secret 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 being revealed versus oh in the synagogues in the streets can you imagine sounding a trumpet as you're giving something to someone I mean it's unbelievable to think that people were doing this at this time and Christ is like please do not be like the hypocrites if you want to be godly do not be like these people who just want to be seen of men they have their reward that's all you will get is human affirmation. But you will get no blessing from God. And notice what the text says in verse 4. It says, and your father who sees how? In secret. You know what that means? If we do our things to be seen of men, God never saw it. If it's just because we're having a 7 a.m. devotion, God didn't see this. Because you did it to be seen of men. But you're not doing this in secret. You're not waking up at 7 to sing and pray and study the Bible. God didn't see this instance. Because we came here because we want to be seen. Of men. He says, well, you came to the 7 a.m. prayer meeting. People will talk about how you were there at 7 o'clock in the morning. That is your reward. Versus a person who came here and says, I don't care if people see me. 
But that's not why I came. Because what I do when this room is empty and it's just me is what God sees. And spirituality is about living before the audience of one person. If we want to have deep spirituality, we must not focus on what men see and don't see. We must focus on what he sees. And he only sees in one place. And that is in secret. And if we're just pretending and we're just doing it in public set settings, no surprise that when Jesus comes, he can say, I never knew you. And you know what the response was? But Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name to be seen of men. But Lord, I prophesied in your name to be seen of men. So literally, Christ, I don't know you. <laughs> I've never seen you in the secret place. Because that's where I see. Literally, we are in God's blind spot. If we only do things to be seen of men. And that's heavy for us. Because as human beings, we like human affirmation. We like community. We like to be supported. I don't want to be the only one. But if you don't want to be the only one, then you don't understand what it means to be a disciple. Because Jesus just says, follow me. It should be me and you. That's it. And even at the end, Peter didn't get this. Lord, what will happen to this man? What is that to you? I can make him live until I come. That has nothing to do with you. You follow me. Don't be concerned about what God is doing in Peter's life. Don't be concerned about what God is doing in Sebastian's life. You follow me. End of discussion. But we get into spiritual communities and it's so difficult. Listen, I went to Japan. I was shocked. The whole culture is like literally the phalanx, man. You will be assimilated. Get on the escalator. Everyone moves to the left. They don't even think about it. Get on the subway train. You can't use your phone. You can't text. You can't make phone calls. So you literally... Packed in Tokyo on this train, people texting as soon as they get on the train, quiet, just staring. Literally, for the next 90 seconds while we go to the next stop, say nothing. They don't even want to look at you, head down, head out the window. Literally, the guy's like right in my face, but he's looking this way. I mean, I'm kind of thankful he's looking that way, but <laughs> at the same time, you're just like, this is awkward. And why is that the case? Because everyone's like, well, this is... And then I remember we were coming from the Buddhist shrine. And as we're crossing the street, this one car pulled into the crosswalk. He didn't stop soon enough. So he's right in the middle of the crosswalk. The light turns, you know, for us to walk across the street. Everyone walking by this guy's car stares at him in the face. <laughs> mean, dirty look. You shouldn't be in the crosswalk. Look, every single person. Not one person failed to stare at this dude. My wife is my witness. Look at him in his windshield. What are you doing? And they just walk like this. Every single one. Downtown Tokyo. They're like, is this for real? My wife and I started laughing like, Does, do any of these people have an independent mind? So then we got to where my hotel was. I'm from the streets, man. I'm from Chicago. No cars coming. I don't care if the light says don't walk. There's no cars coming. So I'm about to walk into the street. The guy's like, don't do it. <laughs> People are going to look at you like, so disrespectful, these Americans. <laughs> so I'm standing there, dead street. No car. I'm like, I cannot believe I'm standing here right now. The hotel's right there. This is like torture. I'm a city boy. It's like, there's the place. There's no car. Cross the street. 
The point is safety, not to obey the rules. If there's a car coming, there's danger. Don't cross. No cars coming. I look left, I look right. Cross the street. Nope. Everyone stands at that corner for literally 90 to 3 minutes until the light says walk. All because these individuals, no one has an independent thinking mind. And that is always the tendency of Eastern culture. From Africa to Eastern Europe to Asia. It's the same mindset. And that's why when people come from the East to the West, it's so liberating. And the family says, oh, you've lost your direction. You went to America, got crazy. You weren't doing that in church in Korea. You weren't acting like this in Africa, back home. You weren't doing this when we were up in Serbia. Now you want to come here from India and start behaving this way. Because you're in America. Because America encourages independent thinking. And granted, that has its bad things and its good things. But the strong suit of it is, is the fact that, listen, it's not about being seen of the community. And cultures that are very strong collectivistic cultures, that's what we call them in communication. Versus the Western, Western culture is individualistic. If Eastern culture is collectivistic, it has a tendency to create more hypocrites. No surprise that the greatest mission fields are in Asia. Interesting. The most powerless churches are in Asia. Why would that be the case? Because true spirituality is dead, and that's the secret of power. Look at prayer. Verse 5, he says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the who? For they love to what? Isn't that interesting? Hypocrites love to pray? You know, when we think of a hypocrite, we don't think of a person that loves to pray. Am I telling the truth? We think when a person loves to pray, man, he's, he's connected to the Lord. I mean, you got these people. I, I went to this one conference. I'm not going to say the name. And, I mean, these people would pray with me over everything, man. Get a glass of water. Hey, brother, let's pray. I'm like, this is dude for real. Like, this cannot be authentic. Then you finish drinking the water and, you know, went to another place. <laughs> and then they're like, all right, we have to get ready to go. So we're putting on our shoes. We have to pray. Okay, let's pray before we go. Okay, we get in the van. We all load. Okay, let's pray. Then we arrive at the event. Let's pray. I'm like, dude, we went three blocks, man. I'm like, we've had three prayers. You can never have enough prayer, pastor. Oh, man. Then you get inside. Hey, let me pray with you. <laughs> then that guy leaves. Another guy walks in. Hey, brother. Blessings, man. We're excited about the message. Let me pray with you. After that, I started predicting it. People just walk up. Hey, man. You want to pray with me? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, of course, man. You can pray with me. So then I started, I started going to them and praying with them first so I could have my time. Because if I don't, it will just keep coming. Yo, man, let me pray with you. Then after you get up front, before you preach, all right, let's, let me pray with you. Then you finish preaching, all right, let's pray. Then you walk outside, yeah, man, the Lord was really blessing, let's pray. I'm like, Lord Jesus, take another step. It's like, <laughs> look left and right. You're thinking these people love to pray. And there's no possible way in your brain that, man, we pray so much, there's no way these people are hypocrites. No possible way they are hypocrites. But... 
Jesus says even hypocrites love to pray. I'm talking about the people at your church, prayer warriors, after church service. Oh, yeah, we need to pray. Before we get there at 6 a.m., we love to pray. There can be hypocrites among them. Why? Because the text says they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. Why would you be praying in the corner of the street? Because you want to be seen praying. Oh, yes, that is Pharisee. That's Rabbi such and such. Oh, yeah, he's so spiritual. Before he even buys his tomatoes. Oh, thank you, Lord, for these tomatoes. And da, da, da. Okay, how much will that cost? Thank you, brother. Let me bless you in your business. It's like this brother's just praying. They're like, wow, this guy's so spiritual. He even prayed for the cashier, man, at Kroger. Like, praise the Lord. I mean, he got his sub at Subway. Bless the lady, man, right at the register. Loves praying in the street. But you know what's interesting in the text? He says he loves to pray standing in the synagogue. Something wrong with praying in the synagogue? That's a church. That's a place of worship, of course. I mean, what could be wrong with loving to pray in a synagogue? Well, Christ says the problem is they're just doing it so they can be seen of men. And then he says, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. There's some people... All they get is the adoration of the church. That's all their reward is. Nothing more. And then he says, in verse 6, But you, contrast, when you what? When you pray. That means just like he expects us to do charitable deeds, he expects us to do what? To pray. A part of spirituality in having a deep walk with God is doing charitable deeds. It is prayer. You cannot have a thriving relationship with God without prayer. Now, he goes on to say, but when you pray, go into your room. That's interesting. Okay. And when you have what? Shut your door. Then he goes on to say, pray to who? Your father, who is where? In the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Openly. This is interesting. So again, Jesus is reiterating the same thing. The very power of spirituality is what we do in secret. That's what determines whether we are spiritual or not. Christian spirituality is not about public. It's about private. It's not about being seen by men. It's about being seen by God. So now, if I ask you the question... And ask myself the question, has God seen you this week? Or were you off his radar? God's like, I didn't, I didn't see you all week. Korean camp meeting. Oh, yeah, he's praying. He's petitioning the throne. He's in Bible studies. Well, where'd this guy come from? When did she? I haven't seen her all week. Because I only see in the secret place. But you know, some people only pray when it's worship service. They go back to their room, they ain't praying. And what this tells you and me is that I don't want to judge myself based upon how other people perceive me. It could be easily. One of the best advice, you know, my spiritual mother gave me when I became a preacher and finally accepted the call to be a preacher. Because I was resisting. I'm like, man, you become a preacher. Everyone's looking at your life. They think this. I went to one place to preach. They're like, pick me up from the airport. Oh, pastor, we know you don't eat after 5 o'clock. Because council's on diet. I'm like, who told you I don't eat after 5 o'clock? 
they're like, oh, I mean, it's, it's after five, you know, you, no, nah, man, take me to some, get some food. <laughs> then they're like, oh, okay, uh, Subway, no, nah, man. They're like, well, we have Subway, the Chinese place, you know, but I mean, it's really unhealthy, cooked food, oil. Yeah, I'm looking for oil. <laughs> take me to the Chinese place. <laughs> I don't want bread and vegetables, like, sorry. I'm a growing boy. <laughs> okay, no problem, Pastor. Uh, these people are so awkward. Uh, what, what would you like? Uh, we don't really come to this kind of place. No problem. I know what to order. <laughs> Leave. Then the brother comes to me. You're at the conference before I have to preach. Yeah, man, we're so excited you're here. I just wanted to ask you a personal question, you know. Like, uh, so how much time do you spend, like, in prayer every day? Like, four hours? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. I hate to break your ivory tower. <laughs> I didn't spend four hours today. Because in, in the expectation is, it's like, this is what you're doing because this is what we're hearing in the sermons. But she said, Sebastian, listen, don't believe the hype. I don't even believe my own hype. It's like, if I'm going to look at who I am in God, in Christ, my question is, what am I doing when I'm not on stage? That's who I am. It gets even deeper than that. Because then she adds the statement in conflict and courage about Abraham. That in the eyes of God, a man is exactly what he is in his own home. Whether he travels the world and preaches. Or whether he's a world-renowned missionary. That doesn't mean anything to God. Who are you in your home? In the eyes of God, in the eyes of men, you're an amazing person. But you can be amazing, a strategist, powerful theologian, spiritual, all these things. And God is like, but you're not that in your home. You're not that in secret, and that's not the person I see you as, in the eyes of God. So, in the eyes of God, God can only judge what He sees. And if you're only doing it to be seen of men, He never saw it. That's why a lot of people will be deceived and confused when they are lost. When Jesus says, I never knew you, they're like, what do you mean you don't know me? Like, I organize a regional GYC. I'm the one that let out Korean Kennedy every year. I'm the person that God's like, what did you do in secret? When the lights were off, when the show's over, no mics, no cameras, no recordings. Then tell me how many songs you sang when it was just you and Jesus. Tell me how many prayers you lifted when it was just you and Jesus. Tell me how many times you took time to think when it was just you and Jesus. In secret, he says, go into your room and shut the door. <coughs> and then he doesn't even take it. He takes it even further than that. And he says, pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret. He's going to reward you openly. We pray in secret. Jesus says, this is the key to getting your prayers answered. <laughs> you will literally walk around seeing God doing things. You ask him in secret. So then we're praying. We're like, Lord, this person, this situation. Next thing you know, it's openly handled. When you start living Christianity like that in a spirituality, you will believe in prayer. But most people don't believe in prayer, A, because they don't understand how to pray and the principles of prayer. That's a big thing. People just think they can go to God, pray, cry, you know, repeat it over and over. God has to do it. Wrong. 
Try that with a kid and a parent. Oh, if I keep crying and just asking again and again, eventually I'll wear him down. That may work with your earthly parents. That ain't going to work with God. Lord, please change your law. I just don't want the Sabbath to be today. There's no amount of praying that will change the Sabbath. And the fact that you need to keep it holy. Because you want to do what you want to do. God is not that kind of parent. You can throw whatever spiritual tantrum you want. It won't change. Which is what he says next. Vain repetition. But I want to encourage us. A. The first thing to address is the nature of true spirituality. Is what we do in secret. When there's no one there to see us. Are we kind? Are we forgiving? Do we speak with respectful tones? You know, what that, what that begins to tell you and I is that <laughs> the people who rub us the wrong way the fastest begins to show us where we are. Because we'll be kind to everyone else. Trust me, I grew up in a Caribbean home. I've seen it. My mom could be going off. Everything. As soon as the phone, hi. Hello. Yes, how are you? Oh, Barbara, that's on. You're like, is this the same woman? I'm like, I think my mom is schizophrenic. <laughs> <laughs> this woman was just going off. I mean, she was on the edge. I'm like, she's about to snap. So all you're thinking, I need to know where the exit is. <laughs> because this woman, you don't know what's going to happen. God bless my mother. But it taught me something in reflection. When I became a Christian, I'm like, how is it possible that you can speak to Barbara? She's not even your son. And you can be patient. Oh, this person messed up your order, spilled this all over your table. But let me bring food to the dinner table and spill something. You got duck a backhand, uppercut, no time. <laughs> it's like, what? You just messed up my whole dinner. It's like, what's going on? And kids feel the same way. That's why pastor kids struggle. Because that is all spiritual and weeping at the altar in church and, oh, the love of God and acceptance, but at home it's not that way. And kids are thinking, that's not the man I know. The wife is thinking, that's not the man I know. And it goes the other way around too. He's like, that's not the woman I know. She's up in church, prayer warrior, women's ministry leader. But at home, that's not what's happening with her daughters. She's got no women's ministry with her daughters. This is how to be a godly woman. We're going to have a program. I started thinking recently that in establishing a family, I said to myself, you know, if God sees me based on who I am in my own home, then that means as I start gauging myself, I said, all this strategizing with GYC. I said, man, when I was in GYC, 20 hours of conference calls for one committee to discuss speakers. I'm like, 20 hours of conference calls in one week. I'm like, man, I have a full time job. It's not like 20 hours is a part time job. One committee. And I'm on like 15. Oh, you got a call. You got your own department. You got this part. You got to go to that call. So I'm thinking all the strategizing and thinking and analysis I'm doing to present a conference that happens for five days at the end of the year. And now the question is, how many conference calls have you heard people having to figure out how to take their homes to the next level spiritually? How many conference calls of men coming together just to pray for their wives 
or wives coming together just to pray for their husbands. Just to pray, Lord, teach us how to have family worship. Do you know Ellen White says she was afraid to stay in a home that did not have family worship? She went to the house and said, these people don't have worship. I don't want to stay here because this is open to anything. She could feel it in her spirit. These people don't even come together to worship. As a family, she said, I don't want to stay in that house. Devil has free reign. Because the altar was broken down. When do we start having conference calls to figure out how to take my spiritual life to the next level? When do we start looking at strategies to say, listen, we have a strong issue in our Korean community. People are not studying the Bible. People are not interested in God. So when's the last time we had a conference call about that? When's the last time we stayed up late? It's amazing. People said, to, when the first time I volunteered for GYC, I was up till four in the morning every night. For six days, literally. I slept for two hours because back then the morning devotion was 6 a.m. People complained about 7.30, 8 o'clock. I'm like, this is not early. <laughs> I was going to bed at 4, waking up at 5.30. No shower, anything. Just wake up, change your tie, <laughs> start driving. <laughs> You're sitting there crusting your eye, everything. Just like, yeah, man, I'm here. I'm just, <laughs> I'm ready to seek the Lord. And this thing is going all day. And I'm like, when was the last time that I complained that because my kids or my wife, I had to stay up until 11? Oh, man, I'm up in arms. I'm frustrated. I'm about to go off on my wife, my kids. I'm just irritated. Then in GYC, I'm not even eating for eight, nine hours. Let the husband not have a meal for five hours. He's unbearable for his family. But you will go all day at camp meeting. Oh, man, I haven't eaten anything today. I skipped lunch and dinner because we were trying to handle this and there was so much ministry to be done. But when he comes home, he can't go six, nine hours with no meal to minister to his kids. No, I'm hungry. I'm not doing that. I'm not coming. No sacrifice. And that's exactly how God sees you. You think because you went nine hours at camp meeting, no meal, God's, oh, he's so spiritual. Nope. God's like, you're in my blind spot. Can't see you. So what do you do when it's nothing to be seen of men? If we really want to know who we are and what we're about, that is going to be the critical key. That is going to be the critical key. I have two minutes. I just want to conclude on the nature of how spirituality then grows. This thing is so powerful. This is when I started appreciating the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to jump ahead to verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He says, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father does what? He feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I want to first start off with the principle here that Christ says, worrying about your spiritual growth will not help you grow. 
If you walk into a place and it's like, man, I'm the shortest person here, you can worry all you want. It's not going to add one inch to your height. Isn't that true? Man, I'm so short, man. I'm so short. I am so short. Like, you're going to be the same height. <laughs> Christ like, worrying is not going to change anything. Well, if it's true for your physical growth, it's true for your spiritual. Man, I need to get in the Bible, man. I need to get deeper into the Bible, man. I just need to be praying. Worrying is not going to grow you spiritually. We're not going to grow by worrying and fretting and like, oh, man, I'm doing this to be seen of man. Oh, man, I'm not spiritual. This is something I see all the time within Korean culture. Always second guessing yourself. Doubting your intuition, your sense. Oh yeah, you know, I'm constantly criticizing myself because I don't want to appear as prideful. I don't want to appear as confident because that's dangerous. That's prideful. And you're going to be looked down for that because I want to be seen of men as being a humble person. But if I come and say, honestly, listen, listen me sitting here second guessing myself is not helping me spiritually. And it has nothing to do with me in the Korean church or my community. It has everything to do with me and him. And me sitting here worrying and pretending like I don't know how to be spiritual so I can appear to be humble is not helping my case. This is doing nothing for me. So let's not pretend. And so Christ says, as a result, so why do you worry? <laughs> if it does nothing. And then he goes to verse 28. He says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. He says, consider them how they what? How they grow. So consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's the point. Jesus gives two illustrations in creation. He says, look at the birds. Didn't he say that? And then he says, consider the lilies of the field. And what does he want you to consider about them? How they grow. So if Christ is telling us, listen, I want you to look at the lilies, how they grow, to learn how you grow. He says, they don't toil. These things are not laboring to grow. They're not spinning. I got to strengthen my stem. You know, wrap ups. It's like, I got to get bigger. Just keep twirling the stem. Get stronger and stronger. No. He says, look at a lily and how it grows. The first thing you learn about a lily is that it grows slowly. It doesn't become a flower overnight. The second thing you learn about how a lily grows, he says, it doesn't toil, it doesn't spin. But it is clothed by God. With this particular beauty. And the third thing is, a lily grows by drawing upon the things that God has provided for its growth. Lo and behold, it has to grow from the soil. Which, hmm, that's interesting because that's where all the nutrients are. Then it needs water and rain. Well, guess what? It rains. God provided the rain. Can the lily do anything about the rain? Can the lily change the soil? No. And then the last thing, it needs the sun. And guess what? There's the sun provided by God. 
So the way that this thing grows is by drawing upon all the things that God has provided for its growth and nourishment. The sun, the rain, the soil. He doesn't toil. He doesn't spin. He doesn't weave. That's what the word means. To weave his clothing to be beautiful. In other words, a flower, a lily, it needs nutrients, it needs sunlight, it needs water. But who supplies all of those things? God. And the birds of the air, they need food, yes? But when the birds, we said, look at the birds. He says, he says look, the birds, you know what? When you look at the birds, <laughs> he says, they don't sow. They don't reap and they don't gather into barns. They say, man, I don't know the next time when I'm going to see some worms. I need to get my Ziploc bag. Store these things up. You never know when it's going to be a, a, nah, man, this might be a famine. No, birds don't even do that. He says, but your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value? So here's the lesson. Very simply put. I want you to listen to the statement very carefully. God supplies the needs that he creates. That'll be something you'll probably meditate on for a while. But I have to just say it to summarize because my time is gone. But I could continue to explore the passage to show you this is exactly what he's teaching. Because by the end, he says, your heavenly father already knows you need these things. We're not praying to God to inform him. Lord, give me understanding in the Bible. He knows you need understanding. But his point is, God supplies the needs that he creates. He created the bird, yes? Did he create the bird with a need for food? So who supplies it? God. He created the lily, and the lily needs sunlight, yes? And who supplied it? God. He created man, and man needs a relationship with God. Man needs spirituality. He needs prayer. He needs connection with heavenly things. He needs community. And guess what? God supplies the needs that he creates. And so for our spirituality, as we learn from the birds and from the flowers, they just grow by applying everything that God has put around them to thrive. So if you and I want to continue to grow spiritually, look at what is around us. If there is a prayer meeting, you should be there because it will help you grow. If there's a Bible study, you should be there because it will help you grow. God provided it for you. If there is an opportunity to do charitable work, you should be there because God provided it for you. All these things, God says, I supply the needs that I create. He knows that we have a need for purpose in life. All these needs, God supplies the needs that he creates. And that is his promise. We have a need to be spiritual and to live a meaningful life that is deeply personal, reflective, and intentional. And God supplies that by his grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time to study your word this morning, to reflect upon the nature of spirituality and how we grow. Father, if there's 
anyone here under the sound of my voice that is thinking to themselves, Lord, I've been a hypocrite. Much of the things that I do that involve God, I do around others. But now I want to really thrive in secret, more so than in public. So if there's anyone here this morning that wants to say, Lord, I need you to change my entire perspective of spirituality. And I need you to start helping me to sing in secret. And I need you to help me to start praying in secret. I need you to start helping me to study the Bible in secret, to reflect, to fast, to do charitable deeds. If that is your prayer, I just want you to raise your right hand to heaven. Say, Lord, that's my prayer. I want to learn to do these things in secret, not just to be seen of men. Father, you see the hands that have been raised, and I pray, Father, that you would teach them the secret of strength and that you would reward them openly for their private commitment to you. And that others may wonder and be completely fascinated. Say, where does this power come from? Where do these blessings come from? And they can lead them to the same well, which is to drink from that well in secret of the waters of life and salvation. We thank you, Father, for these gifts. We trust you will lead us in this path until you come. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.